You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning. My name is Reese Kia Aina, and I have the honor and privilege of introducing our guest speaker this morning. You know, Dr. Doug Weber has been married to Joanne Weber for the past 38 years. He has three children as well as two grandchildren. You know, Doug is a man of God and he is a man of many talents. He is a man who has worn many hats. In the 80s, he has served as an evangelist in the Boston Church of Christ In the 90s, he has served as the CEO for Hope for Kids, as well as the CEO and president for Hope for Worldwide LA. He currently serves as an elder in our very own Los Angeles International Church of Christ in the metro LA region. Doug has also been practicing medicine as a doctor uh, since 1987. He was the former chief of staff at Glendale Memorial Hospital and currently serves right now as the director of palliative care at Glendale Memorial Hospital. He also serves as an attending physician at Hollywood Presbyterian Medical Center. Aside from all this, what I am inspired by and impressed by Doug is his humility, his love for God, and his love for serving God's people. Without any further ado, here is Dr. Doug Weber. Good morning. Thank you, Reese, for that very gracious introduction. I want to welcome all of you who are joining with us this morning for worship. I want to say good morning to all of you at Metro LA, as well as to in other places around the country and outside the country. It is my privilege to be able to be with you and share a few thoughts from the front line, things that I believe God has been teaching me, and I'd like to share some thoughts with you today. But before we start with that, I just want to wish all of you as we enter the month of December a very warm, blessed, and very loving, healthy holiday season. I just want to wish that to to all of you who are with us. And I would be remiss if I did not even now, as we come towards the end of the year, thank uh, the Carrillos and the Kianas, Robert and Michelle, Reese and Grace, as well as the production team with Turnwall, just for the amazing messages that you've been bringing us, the teaching, the preaching, uh, week in and week out, as we've not be able to, have been able to get out and be with one another. You've come into our homes, and we want to thank you for the ministry and the ministering you've given us during these very difficult and trying times. With that being said, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for being our God and our Savior. We thank you for this morning and this time that we can uh, look into your word. We pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us through your word in a powerful way. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, uh, these have been very trying times, but for many of us, that would be considered an understatement in 2020. When we consider the over 13 million people in this country who've been infected by the virus, but even to a deeper extent, the 275,000 individuals who've died in this country from COVID-19, 
the 1.5 million individuals and souls that have died and lost their lives worldwide. And we think about the hundreds of thousands of family members who've been grieving, the hundreds of thousands who've been unemployed or without work. We think about the closed businesses. We think about not only the grieving families, but we think about the food lines, those who are hungry. We consider it even a nightmare. But the only problem is we've not been sleeping. It's not a dream. It's been reality. The virus has been wrecking destruction throughout this country and throughout the world. And it's been horrific. But the, the reality is that many of us are, are tired. We w- we'd like to be able to get back to our regular way of living. But you know what? Even though we may be done with the virus, the virus has not been done and is not done with us. And that was, there was a wake-up call to me just a, a couple weeks ago. You know, a patient of mine who I had seen in the office was fine. I got a message a couple weeks later as I was seeing a, a, a patient in, in, a, in a room. I was interrupted by my staff to come to the telephone. I came to the telephone. It was a police officer. And that police officer told me about this patient who they found that morning and they tried to resuscitate, but they were unsuccessful and he had died. The thing about it is he had called our office just a couple days before to inform us that he had tested positive for COVID-19. It took his life that quickly. And yes, he did have underlying health conditions and pre-existing illnesses, but it, it, it helped me to see how vicious this virus is and that we are in literally a war. And as we've thought about this, I know initially back in the spring, we didn't quite understand everything that was going on with this particular virus. And and we didn't understand a lot about it. And that created so much fear. I know that many of us in the health professions and on the front lines, there was a lot of fear because we didn't really understand much about it. And we started thinking about what would this mean for my family? What would this mean for for me, for the church and for those who I care and love? And you know, the amazing thing was that we understood uh, through that all that if we're on the front line, tag, you're it. <laughs> tag, I'm it. I'm, I'm the person stepped up. And, and, I, and I realized, you know, it was for such a time as this that I went into medicine is to be there on the front line. And for many of us who are in, in law enforcement or, you know, work in, in food supply and distribution and in so many of the areas where our presence with people is so vital, vitally important. We realized that our role was essentially essential. But I wanted to sort of bring you up to speed a little bit with my my life, you know, and it's not un, untypical from uh, uh, or atypical from many other health professionals who are on the front line. This is my office staff from left to right. It's Laura, Virginia and Juliana. And, you know, from the very beginning, we we were very diligent in just trying to make sure as uh, as health professionals and, and having the responsibility for caring for our, our patients, that as, as calls were coming in and, and there were suspicions about the pandemic and infection, that we were triaging patients and making sure they got tested and making sure we gave good advice and and, and direction regarding how to take care of themselves and how to quarantine and so forth, and just so, trying to help relieve any anxieties and fears 
Um, it, it, it was quite a task, in, in addition to taking care of all of the other regular needs. But also my life outside of my office practice is, is in the hospital. And so this is a picture uh, from the intensive care unit at Glendale uh, Memorial Hospital, Dignity Health. And, you know, morning rounds would be a time where we'd come together and we'd, we'd talk about individual patients. We'd talk about their, their situation, uh, where they are medically at the moment, and then formulate plans for that particular day as we went forward. And, you know, the team is amazing. You know, there's, it's a team of dedicated, you know, health professionals. You know, they're seated from left to right. Uh, is Jonathan, he's the spiritual chaplain. Craig, who uh, is uh, the palliative care coordinator. Lydia, who's the social worker. Uh, Cheyenne, who is the uh, a, a patient escort uh, individual who really helps uh, patients and families get connected, who are having procedures and day procedures, et cetera. Uh, in the back, from, from going from the right, is Eugene. He's one of the uh, intensive care bedside nurses. And then Dr. Bajaj, who's the intensivist, who's who's responsible for the care, the medical care. Next is Edwina, our monitor tech and unit clerk. Then myself, I direct the palliative care services to really help optimize comfort uh, for patients and help be a liaison along with Craig, with families. Uh, and Fred, one of the other administrators there in the church next, uh, I'm sorry, in the hospital next, next to me there. And we work together as, as a team to really help support the patients to do our best. And, and it's been a very, very trying Time is for many others who are on the front line, whether in law enforcement, uh, in other fields, food distribution, disaster uh, relief, etc. And it really started to bring to my mind the whole idea of being essential. And we talked a little bit about that in the media. They talked about individuals who uh, would need to not stay home, but to, to go out and to to do their work uh, because their role was considered, quote, essential. And so it really started, you know, coming to my thought in terms of what this would mean, even in a more general sense. You know, our mission there in the hospital uh, is to make the healing presence of God known in our world by improving the health of people we serve, especially those who are vulnerable while, while we advance social justice, you know, for all. So we had a specific mission. And in other areas of individuals who were on the front line, they had uh, specific missions. And, and specific tasks and, and and specific things that their presence was absolutely essential for. So you think about that word and, you know, essential means absolutely necessary, you know, extremely important or crucial. And, you, you know, you don't want to think too highly of yourself, but you realize that what you are doing every day is, is essential. Tag, you're, you're it. And I believe that there are lessons, though, that are there for, for all of our lives, whether we're in law enforcement and food delivery, whether in healthcare, that in a sense, we are all frontliners and that we are all essential. But there was no one more essential than Jesus. Now, Jesus was, is, and always will be essential in our lives. He'll be essential for our families. He'll be essential for our marriages. He, he, he's essential for our professional lives. He's essential for our friendships, our relationships. He's truly essential for, for, for all, for all of, all of the things in our lives that make a difference. And so he's essential to our faith. So I'm going to talk about a few things. First, he cares deeply about us. That's why he's essential.
Secondly, he has a master plan to solve the spiritual crisis the world faces today. And thirdly, his plan provides salvation and real power for our individual lives. In Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 35, we read that Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, the Bible talks about how Jesus was essential. He was the ultimate frontliner. He went through all the towns. He went through all the villages. He taught in their synagogues. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom and he healed every disease and sickness. I mean, that is quite the effectiveness of a great physician. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and they were helpless. He saw them as they really were these crowds. He says he, he, he relates them to being sheep, sheep who are without a shepherd, sheep who oftentimes would do things that weren't too bright, <laughs> things, uh, things that would, 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 would reflect poor choices in their lives out of timidity or, or, or fear. And he saw people like these sheep who needed a shepherd who provide guidance and comfort and support and love. And the reason he did this, the Bible says, is because he had compassion on them. And, you know, I think about what that word means. And it's taken from a a Greek word that actually reflects bowels, you know, the depths of our very being and being moved to the depths of our very being. See, he was moved to action by the world's pain, by the pain of those who are suffering with sickness in Matthew 14, 14 and 20, 29 to 34, the blind, the mute, the paralyzed, the deaf. He was moved to his depth by his bowels for the grieving, those who had lost loved ones, like so many have today in Luke 7, verse 13 with the widow. He was moved by the world's hunger. There were those who literally hungered for food. They hungered for spiritual food, but they hungered for physical food. In this country alone, it's estimated by the by the end of the year, there'll be 50 million Americans that could experience what they call food insecurity. One in six adults, one in four children, many on food lines, a 50 percent increase from 2019. What a crisis we face. And Jesus faced it in Matthew 15, 32. And compassion for the lonely, the lepers who were cast out and were estranged from society in Mark 1, verse 42. He had compassion. He had longing for these individuals. There's no force more powerful to promote action than the force that is generated by compassion. And Jesus had this in spades. He had it in spades. And so that was an amazing, essential element of Jesus in his ministry and why he's essential. And that's something that has moved me, because even as I've done and continue to do what I do, I, along with many other health professionals, can 
can fall to what's called compassion fatigue. You know, that's why we got into in, in this in this business, in this line of work is because we care about people. But when you're when you're serving and giving and you're seeing people even uh, succumb to this illness, it, it can get wearing and, and, and tiring. And, and I've, I've helped, you know, even some of my patients who are nurses and they've needed time off. And I know I needed some time off last month because been working straight through the entire year and we can get fatigued. But Jesus helps us to understand how important compassion is to continue to see people the way that he saw people uh, as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he had a, had a plan. You know, any formidable task needs a plan. You know, with this pandemic, there's been a plan that when effectively uh, followed through with has been effective. And, you know, initially it was to make sure that we educated the public about the nature of this pandemic and that people understood the importance of of mitigation, you, you know, protocols, you know, distancing and wearing masks and avoiding, you know, large gatherings and so forth so that people could be educated and buy into this. But that even that they'd understand if they were exposed, what they should do next and the importance of testing and and then isolating and quarantining so to avoid the spread. So this is a plan that in many places, many countries has been highly effective uh, when implemented successfully. And so this was a plan that we've had and any task needs that. And Jesus had a plan in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Jesus had a plan, an essential plan. And that plan was people. He had no problem seeing the vision. He said the harvest is plentiful. You know, why did, why was that? You know, when he saw people, yes, he saw them as harassed and helpless, but he saw potential and not simply problems. He saw opportunity and not simply obligation. He was excited. He had vision. He said it's plentiful, but there's an, there is an issue. There is a problem. The workers are few. He said to his disciples, then ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He was, he's basically saying, okay, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, individuals who will have the compassion that I have, who have the vision and the perspective on the spiritual challenges that this world faces so they can go out and basically imitate what I do because the needs are so great and there's only one of me. So he said, call, he called his disciples, the 12, these same individuals, and then he gave them the authority and then he sent them out. He actually sent them out two by two. He didn't send out a mob of individuals. He sent them out, you know, individually and two by two so that these individuals would go out with that message, with the same compassion that he had to have impact, you know, in the world. Again, he didn't just see simply problems, but he saw potential. He saw opportunity and not just obligation. And these individuals 
went out. Yes, two by two. They could encourage one another. They can strengthen one another. They could pray for one another. And it's the same for us even today. He intends for us not to go this alone, but yes, in an intimate setting with individuals that know us, that we trust, that we can pray together with. And I know that's been a big strength for me over these last several months is having people like Robert and having people like Reese and having other brothers in my life who I can pray with, who I can talk to about what's going on in my life. I'm going to go back. You know, Christianity is a caught religion. We understand how faith is essential for our lives. In Romans 10, the Bible talks about how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can they preach unless they are sent. Sometimes the only Bible that somebody will ever read is our lives. And we are those individuals. Our message and our lives speak very, very loudly. And that's what this pandemic has taught me, you know, especially with the fact that even as a church and in many churches, uh, meeting together has not been an option. And so what it has called on us all individually is for us to have a more of a personal impact and personal ministry. As I said, we're not together. There's no real large group just to say, hey, come here and the group will do this for you. It's more an issue of sharing how Jesus and his scriptures and his word have transformed my life and how it can transform others' lives. And so that's really, really important that we see the fact that he's called us individually to step up and to be on the front line spiritually uh, in our lives. That's what this pandemic has taught, taught me. And if need so, even to put ourselves in harm way, to be wise. None of us have a death wish when it comes to COVID-19, but we realize that there are risks involved. But Jesus also has essential power, essential power. And the message of the cross, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God. And we think about that. Jesus has essential power that through dying on the cross, that he shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. And as we respond to that message into that act through repentance and baptism, truly we can be saved, that our sins can be, can be forgiven. And God can give his Holy Spirit to us to empower us to live a new life. And when we have that spirit, the Bible says that we need to live in accordance with that spirit. And what I've needed to understand during this pandemic is how valuable and how essential it is for power in my life that I live by the spirit. Because there's so much as frontliners that we can be involved in, in terms of dwelling our thoughts in the future about what if this, what if that, and even individuals now with the pandemic, what's going to happen at the end of the life, what's at, at the end of the month, excuse me, what's going to happen uh, with my mortgage, what's going to happen with my rent payments, what's going to happen with my job, and there's just so much insecurity that can create stress and anxiety, and it's so important that we live by the Spirit, because when we do so, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, Against such things, there is no law. Galatians chapter five, verse 22. Imagine 
what it's like if we're all living that way each and every single day. Love, joy, peace, patience. It's, it's how we rejoice as, as Christians, what our lives are called to be, even in the midst of a pandemic or whatever challenges or hardships that we're going through at any particular time, if we are living by the Spirit. Because the Bible says in Galatians 5, even earlier, that if we live by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And he goes on to talk about how it's obvious that those who are not living in accordance with the Spirit and living by the sinful nature live with sexual immorality and impurity, debauchery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and hatred and bitterness and anger. And that's not how we want to live. He wants us to live by the Spirit. But the question is, how does that happen? And I believe the Bible helps us to understand it, helped me to understand. This is a lesson that I learned. It's important that I keep and get the right mindset and have that on a daily basis. Those who live according to the flesh in Romans chapter eight, five through six, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind covered by the spirit is life and peace. It's all about the right mindset. God was teaching me during this pandemic that I had to keep my mindset right on what I dwelled, allowed my my thoughts to dwell on. There was a lot that I needed to be concerned about. Even with the pandemic, we were learning and we have been learning as we've been going, you know, diving into the literature to understand more and more about the nature of this. And it's an ongoing education process. And then thinking about the ramifications of all of this as we sort of move forward and in whatever field we're in on the front line, because we want to be our best, we realize that literally lives are at stake uh, in, in many regards. And yet at the same time, for me personally, in my heart and my soul, it's so important for me to keep my mind set on what the spirit desires. And so really, what are we talking about when we're talking about that? And one of those who were sent out, the Apostle Paul, to the Gentiles, gave us these directives in Galatians and and in Romans. And here in Philippians, he has more to help us understand how this essential power can be tapped into in our lives. So how do we set our minds today? I believe today is our safe place. In Philippians 4, verse 4 through 7, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God is teaching us through the Apostle Paul that we need to be able to set our minds today. Today is our safe place. And he says, what is that message? It's one of joy. Christianity is simple. Christianity is rejoicing and celebrating. He says, rejoice in the Lord always in a pandemic and outside of a pandemic. He says, I will say it again, rejoice. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. It's so important that we live in today because the Lord is near us. Uh, 
You know, Jesus was referred to as the bread of life. And in the Old Testament, we know about the manna. The thing about the manna that the Israelites had to eat is they got enough for today. And they could not let it go to the next day. And if they did allow that food for today to get into the next day, it would actually spoil. It's so important that there are promises that God has given us to given us for all of our lives that he wants us to live in today. He doesn't want us to live in tomorrow. There's so many great and precious promises that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ Today, he wants us to live in that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a tremendous promise. He wants us to live in that today. He, he will always be with us and he'll never forsake us. He wants us to live in that today. He works everything out for our good, even through the difficult circumstances. Even if we get infected with COVID, he will work it out for our good. Even as we're going through other fires in our lives, we may be facing financial challenges and issues in our lives. But he wants us to rejoice in him. He will go with us through these fires so that we will come out like gold, even more refined. So with that, we can rejoice. He doesn't want us to be anxious. He wants us to be grateful. We can't be anxious and grateful at the same time. But by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, we present our requests to God each and every day. And so as we cast our anxieties upon him because he cares for us, as it says in first Peter, as we decide that we're going to rejoice in the Lord and the promises that he gives us that we can claim as ours today, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but we take one day at a time The Bible says in verse seven that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In a supernatural type of way, the Bible says that we'll have peace. Isn't that what we all need? Isn't that what we on the front line need? I know that's what I need and what I want, what I cherish every single day. Jesus has essential power to bring that into our lives if we claim that. But first, we've got to claim the cross. If we never have claimed the cross through repentance and baptism, we've got to do that first. But then we've got to stay in step and live by the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh and the sinful nature. And we've got to live by the Spirit by allowing that fruit to be evident in our our lives, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, etc., So in summary, Jesus is essential to our faith. He always has been, he is, and he always will be because of the essential compassion that he had in his ministry, in his life, and that he still has. He hurts when we hurt. He hurts when the world hurts. He hurts when those who suffer, whether it be through sickness or through hunger, whether through loneliness, experience in their lives. But he has a plan to help relieve that suffering. That plan is you and I. We are his feet and his arms, his mind and his heart in this world. And so he calls us to become what? Workers. Workers who understand, tag, you're it. 
It's your time. We've, as the doctors take an oath to heal and to cure, we as disciples have, have made an oath to be disciples of his, to follow his example and to help heal this world. And lastly, Jesus has essential power. Those he sent out had a message. And that message was we need to keep our minds set on today, keep our minds set on things above and not simply things of this world. And when we do so, the fruit of God's spirit will be evident in our lives, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, etc. They'll be evident in our lives and we will not gratify the desires of our sinful nature. There's a temptation when times are tough to pull back into ourselves. There's been more substance abuse and, and depression and anxiety and all of these things over the last several months. And these are things that we're suffering from, but that God can help cure through his power. So let us live by the spirit today, starting with our thoughts, what we decide to set our minds on realizing that Jesus is essential to our faith. Jesus has essential compassion. Jesus has an essential plan and Jesus has essential power. Let us think about these things. Let's talk about these things about one another and how they apply to our lives as we go into our groups, those of us in the church, and as we go about our lives in our week. That being said, as a physician, I wanted to share a few thoughts with you. You know, Winston Churchill said, I believe it was in 1943 during the time of World War II. Now, this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. You know, up until that time, England, of which Winston Churchill was its prime minister at that time, had been suffering many, many defeats. But in that year of 1943, they had their first victory. And with that victory, it sort of turned the tide for England and Britain in World War II. And it was when he made this statement that it was, he knew that the war wasn't over, but he thought that perhaps it was the end of the beginning, a beginning that had not started very well at all. And when we look at the pandemic, we realize that these number of months we've been through have been horrific. They've been a nightmare, but it hasn't been a dream. It's been reality in our lives. And we've seen so many lives devastated by this and, and by even us who've remained healthy, having to live a whole, totally different type of life. And for many of us, we want to get back to a quote, normal life as soon as possible. Like, but as I shared a little bit earlier, the virus is not done with us as of yet, but there is good news in the midst of bad news. And some of you who are listening to the news and have seen what's been uh, presented in the media are aware of the fact that there are now, uh, some breakthroughs with vaccines that have been discovered that show great promise, over 90% effective with the two vaccines that likely will be approved in another week or so uh, by the Federal Drug Administration and then can be rolled out to millions of individuals uh, in this country, starting with uh, health professionals who are on the front lines um, and other frontline uh, essential workers, et cetera, and then even the elderly and those in nursing homes, et cetera, is, I believe, the plan. And so for that, that's, 
that good news, but by no means is it the end. It's not even the beginning of the end, but perhaps it's the end of a very horrific beginning that we can hopefully see change. And, and health professionals are believing that if perhaps between anywhere between 50 to 80 percent of people are vaccinated as, as these immunizations are rolled out in the next several months, that herd, what's called herd immunity could be achieved and would be able to prevent the kind of outbreaks that we've been experiencing and even right now are experiencing at this time. So I want to, want to encourage all of you to keep your eyes and ears uh, open uh, to what's going to be happening and rolling out in the next uh, several months. Vaccines historically have been a bedrock of, of medicine, whether it's childhood immunizations with measles, mumps, rubella, or even deadly uh, uh, you know, diseases such as polio that one of our presidents, FDR, had. The vaccine, the polio vaccine, essentially eradicated uh, polio as we know it. Smallpox, another very deadly virus that uh, infected and, and killed uh, up to 95% of individuals who uh, were inflicted with it, particularly Native American population earlier this century. It, the vaccine totally eradicated it. So our hope, our prayer that we should all have is that as we move forward, that hopefully through these vaccines, we can have the same with COVID, COVID-19. But with that being said, just a few thoughts, because as I said, uh, it's, you know, we're not at the, at the end at all, hopefully the beginning of the end, but in the midst of that, we are in a tremendous crisis. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is within the last month, hospitalizations here in Los Angeles and many places have tripled. Infection rate has tripled. Deaths have doubled. And so with that being said, this past week, our local health authorities here in Los Angeles uh, wanted to make sure it was very clear that we had to take drastic measures over the next several weeks into the Christmas holiday season. With that being said, I just, again, would be remiss as a physician, as I've taken an oath to not only help cure disease, but prevent disease, that in conjunction with our local health officials, uh, they're admonishing us to stay at home if at all possible. You know, sheltering in, staying away, if, and, and going out only if necessary, only if essential. Wearing a mask if going out is necessary, and it should be at least two layers. We understand very clearly that masks work and they help uh, in a tremendous way uh, prevent the transmission of this virus. It's important that we don't share air, and that is important in gatherings and important in mask wearing if we do happen to be around people and making sure that we're keeping a physical distancing of at least six feet. Avoiding gatherings, and that's a hard one for many of us, particularly in the church and with our family gatherings and with Christmas coming up and in the wake of Thanksgiving. And that's that's difficult, but we've got to find other creative ways to connect with one another and help one another. We've got to wash our hands often to prevent the spread through contact, quarantine when sick or possibly infected. And so it's important that if we do get infected, we uh, do stay isolated and quarantined for a period of 10 days from the time of the test or the beginning of symptoms before we would even venture to go out and be around other individuals. And quarantine if we believe that we've been exposed uh, and get tested. And to know your status, again, so knowing our status, there's many testing centers I know here in, in Los Angeles that have opened up. And so getting a test should be 
accessible and available to you if you need it so that you know your status so that uh, you can uh, isolate or quarantine yourself if you do happen to be positive or quarantine yourself until you know what uh, your status is. So it's, it's very, very important that we take these steps, particularly over the next several weeks, so that we can do our part to be part of the solution and not part of the problem to keep ourselves, our family members safe, those who we love as well. So thank you. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Uh, let's be safe. You've just listened to the Metro LA podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com 